Welcome to Wellversed, where we bring biblical principles of governance to governmental leaders and you. This is the Wellversed podcast. My guest is Eamon Ross, and I'm so excited to have him with us. I haven't known him well, but everything I know about him is so impressive. I, I'm just I, I, I'm just stimulated by talking to him and learning how he can help us. Well, I'll, I'll tell you in a moment, because you're going to be very excited about what you're about to hear. Eamon, I want you to take a moment and just tell your life story in two minutes, <laughs> who you are, and then we're going to start this important training for them. Well, thank you, Dr. Garlow, for having me. I'm excited to be here. As you know, uh, we both share the passion for believers getting involved in politics and leading in the public sphere. And so quick, uh, a, a little bit about myself, was in the business world for 20 years uh, on a half mission, half business trip to China back in 2016, walking along the Great Wall and heard the voice of God, literally. And scared me to death. He said, Amen, you think too small. You don't think generationally. I came back to the States, meeting with one of my really good friends and uh, shared that. He said, what do you think it means? I said, for some reason, I feel like God wants you and me to put godly leaders in positions of authority in, uh, uh, in, in the political sphere. And so anyway, he said, don't tell anybody, but I'm thinking God's calling me to run for governor. So uh, I ended up leaving the business world and ran his campaign for governor with zero um, political experience. And in order to kind of learn the space, I did about 150 interviews with consultants in every area of a campaign. Um, we ended up in a 10-person primary, making it to the top two, won the runoff, and then won the general election. So he's actually now in his second term as governor of Oklahoma, doing an incredible job bringing kingdom ideals there. And then from there, uh, took all of the all that we had learned during that and put it into a curriculum. And since then, the Kingdom and Politics curriculum, we've helped candidates from school board and uh, county commissioner to state rep, Congress, all over the nation. And our goal is really to educate, inspire, and prepare believers to run for office and work on campaigns. Okay. Uh, my good friend, Eamon, has told you exactly why he's on tonight, and I'm really happy to have him on. Listen carefully, World Prayer Network family. You need to consider running for office. Now, don't look at the person to your right or think I'm talking about somebody in another home on another screen. I'm saying you need to consider running for office. If not, would you at least take careful notes and work alongside someone, a brother or sister, and help them run for office? So I'm going to ask you to take good notes tonight. We're going to put this out on a link so you'll have a copy of it yourself. But um, we need to activate a lot of you. There's last time I read it was 511,000 different elective offices across America. I think I heard it had gone up higher, maybe 550,000. Eamon will know the, the correct number. There's a lot of offices. And if good people don't run, guess who does run? So I want to encourage you to consider running for an office. Am I calling you to an easy task? No, I'm calling you to a terribly hard task. Difficult. Now, Eamon will help make it a little bit easier. But it's a hard task. But uh, it can be a lot of fun, too. And you're going to have <laughs> life experiences that you would not have in any. There's no other way to have these type of life experiences. That's good. That You counterbalance my doomsday prophecy there. Thank you for that, that positive declaration. You're going to have fun, folks. That's what he says. That being the case, get a paper and pencil or start getting ready to type. And I want you to hear, how, how does a person, Amen? I'll just ask this. 
How's a person? Run? I know it's a big difference if you're running for Congress, if you're running for the school board, but but kind of give us an overview. How does a person go about doing that? Yeah, that's a really good question. And you know, when you had actually originally asked me to share today and kind of what you really wanted me to um, provide the viewers with, really some nuts and bolts. We're not going to talk a lot of theory today. We're not going to talk super abstract. It's going to be nuts and bolts. So when Dr. Carlo was Garlo was saying, uh, take notes, I'm telling you what, this is tried and true. This is the best information you can find. It is the most up-to-date, and it's from over 150 consultants. We took best practices from all over the nation and uh, have really found that it's an effective foundation for running for office. But to answer your question specifically, I think the most important thing for people to do is hear the voice of God. And so if you have ever felt like or interested in or considered running for office or just have that little nudging, you know, there is no better place, there's no safer place for you to be than the will of God. And I, I travel all over the country, speak to tons of groups of people. And the comment I hear the most often is, well, I would, but I don't want that for my family. Well, I'll tell you what, that is probably the worst answer you could ever give because God is going to take care of your family. He's going to protect you. If you are called to school board or city council or county commissioner or Congress, whatever it is, if you're called, there's no safer place that you can be. So Dr. Garlo, if you want, I'm more than happy just to kind of jump in today to the, to the material. Just let me know which direction you want to go. Yep, absolutely. Let's go for it. And, and, and once again, um, I just want to say, as, as a guy, I've been involved politically, governmentally since age nine. I suppose I've worked alongside maybe if 100 campaigns. It may not be that many or maybe more. I don't know. It's just been a lot. I've not kept track. And uh, I want, do underscore, I'm glad he added what he did. It's, it's fun and exhilarating. It's really quite remarkable. It is the same time can be very difficult and very hard, particularly in today's polarized community. But it's never more critical than righteous, godly people who understand biblical truth about governance to run for positions, elective office. So I'm asking you very prayerfully, very prayerfully, yes, you, <laughs> listen right now to what our brother's going to share. He's going to outline it over. Now, he has a whole course that goes many, many hours, but he's con he's consolidating this down at my request and just giving you some nuggets from this. And you may want to follow up with him and get more extensive training. But for now, let's just go with an overview. Thank you, Eamon, for coming on and being able to share with us today. Uh, you're welcome. All right, let's get started. So before before I start, I do want to preface this with I'm not going to talk about anything Republican or Democrat or conservative or liberal or right or left. Um, in my experience, I've found that the most effective way for me to communicate is those people with a biblical worldview and those people without a biblical worldview. And so what I do want you to know is that candidates that don't have a biblical worldview, the world of politics is actually their religion. They tithe to it, they practice what they preach, and they are absolutely engaged in um, implementing and furthering their agenda, but it's not a kingdom agenda. And so what you're about to hear is a great start for how to go about um, laying the foundation for your run for office or your friends run for office, but please, I want you to take to heart, you need to be able to do the work, okay? I can't tell you, you know, 
No one would try and do surgery without going to medical school or practice law without going to law school. There is so much that goes into doing this well, but most people just think, oh, I can put my name on the ballot, you know, and, and, and I, I've got a shot and, you know, it's in God's hands. Well, <laughs> that's not very strategic. And I think that God has called us to be a strategic people. And so we call this the Matthew 10, 16 principle. Okay. Wise as a serpent, gentle as a dove. This, I'm going to give you the wise as a serpent sermon today that we don't ever hear uh, on Sunday mornings. So I, I want you to know that what we're about to share is really what you need to know in order to be um, effective and strategic in your approach to running for office. So here's a few pictures from that first campaign we did. We've done tons more since, obviously, but it's really neat to see God at work. And, and now, you know, Governor Stitt bringing an absolute kingdom um, uh, mindset to that office. So as I said earlier, our goal is to inspire, educate, and prepare believers to run for office and work on campaigns. And, and I am going to go pretty fast here. As he said, there will be a recording, but we have a lot to cover in a short amount of time. So it might feel a little bit like speed dating, uh, but we got to go for it here. Our short-term mission is to work with a thousand churches to commit at least one person to run for school board. And our long-term mission is to raise up a hundred thousand believers to run for office over the next 10 years. Now, that might sound like a lot, but here's the deal. Right now, approximately three out of four believers don't even vote or aren't registered to vote. Um, as Dr. Garlow alluded to earlier, there's over 550,000 elected offices in the United States from school board to president. So if we're looking to raise up 100,000, that's less than 20% of elected offices that we're actually going after and targeting. And then in 2020, and, and it's hard to get updated data on this due to COVID, but in 2020, pre-COVID, 70% um, of the county, city, and local elections went uncontested. That means if your name was on the ballot, you won. That's how disengaged people are in the world of politics. Now, I just want to give you a little bit of in, um, insight into really how to break down the country into smaller bite-sized pieces. So there's about a little over 3,000 counties in the United States, which means there's over 3,000 sheriffs. And I think if COVID taught us anything, it's the sheriff is such an important part um, of implementing or actually fighting against elected officials' um, unconstitutional declarations. And then school boards, right? I mean, it's been a hot topic the last couple of years. We've, we have had our blindfolds on and didn't realize what's going on in school. The, the stuff going on in your school right now, whether it's you know pregnant men um, on the front of the science book or biology book or kitty litter boxes in your kids' bathrooms, there's a lot going on in schools and we need kingdom-minded believers to get involved. And then there's over uh, almost 20,000 municipal governments, city council, uh, and mayors. And really quick, I just want to touch on this because I really feel like there's just bad eschatology out there, right? Like God's coming back, so we don't need to do anything. So what? God's got it. You know, we 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 pull into our our uh, our garage on Sunday, we shut the door, um, and and we don't ever get involved. Can you currently name one of your school board members or city council members or mayors? I highly doubt you can. And that is a problem. We have to be involved in our communities. I was at a conference recently and I, our mutual friend, uh, she's a Senate minority leader, was Shannon Grove. She was speaking to 700 pastors and she said, you know, the church has abdicated its responsibility to engage and raise up leaders in the government space. We've sat on the sidelines while ungodly legislation has been written and implemented. 
believers haven't been at the table and now we're on the menu. And the part about that that's so important is she said, you know, you are the only group, the, the, the church is, the, and that's, I mean, capital C, so the body of Christ, believers are the only people that never come down to the capital to advocate for their beliefs or build relationships with the legislators, okay? The LGBTQ community does, the Atheists of America do. All of these different groups go down and they have a plan and they're implementing uh, and working on it. And, and we don't even show up. As we all know, Proverbs 29.2 says, when the righteous thrive, the people rejoice. And when the wicked rule, the people groan. So if you're tired of groaning, sharpen your pencil. Here we go. We're going to jump on into it. Um, this is for, so what we do at Kingdom and Politics is we break down running for office into three different levels. And we do that to help you wrap your mind around really, um, as, as Dr. Garlow alluded to earlier, there's different strategies in running for Congress than there are for school board. And so level one is uh, school board, city council, mayor. Level two is county commissioner, state representative, sheriff, judge, DA, and then level three are really the larger, the congressional, senate, attorney general, um, governor, lieutenant governor races. And we break those down based on three key criteria. It's the size of the geography that the office covers, the number of constituents, and the cost of running an effective campaign. Now, about this, this is true about 95% of the time, a school board race is never as expensive as a city council or mayor race, and those aren't expensive as a state rep race, and that's not as expensive as a congressional race. There's obviously some anomalies there, but um, those, that, that's something that's important to keep in mind. Now, you got to stay disciplined and stay on message, and I can't tell you how important it is to learn how to craft a message that is relevant, um, but that also engages the heart. So we were working with a congressional candidate. Um, this last cycle was in special forces for 25 years. Incredible guy, speaks three languages, manages multi-billion dollar budgets for the Navy. And he was speaking to a group of 500 people. Uh, and there was a person there and she stood up and you know was interrupting his speech and said, I only want to know one thing. Are you pro-life or are you pro-choice? Well, he had called me to tell me this after the presentation. And I said, well, how did you answer? And he said, well, I told her that I was pro-life. And I said, well, that was a bad answer. And he said, well, why? I am pro-life. And I said, yeah, but you immediately shut a switch off and everyone in the room um, who's not willing to hear anything else you have to say when you respond to a question like that. And so he said, well, how should I have responded? And I said, you know, what you need to do is said, have you ever, um, during your special ops time, carried a dead body? Yeah. Have you ever carried dead children? Of course. Well, tell, a tell me a story about it. So he shares about how he was in Kabul, a rocket hit, hit a house and a building, and he was carrying this dead baby um, while the mother's screaming and crying alongside. And I said, next time, tell the time about how you were in Kabul carrying this dead baby and the mom is screaming and crying as you're carrying it um, over to the morgue. And that that experience um, with that child at death really impacted your, um, your, your perspective on life. And so those are the types of messages that we need to learn how to nuance better and engage the heart. Now, everything that you do in, in building out your campaign needs to be built around this one sentence, and that's creating a reasonable path to victory. And to do that, you need to be fairly scientific about it. You got to know the data. You got to know the numbers. So let's think of a campaign as a startup company. And the goal is to give voters 
shortcuts to make decisions. Okay. Votes are actually a transfer of trust. They're saying, I actually am going to trust you with my vote. And so there's there's definitely a bond that you have to build with voters, a message that resonates and communicates the message of trust. You have to create awareness and persuade voters to take action. It doesn't matter if people support you or like you. If they don't take action, it doesn't matter. And then you have to you have to offer voters perspective, contrast and choices. Now, I put contrast in there because believers seem to get really hung up on this. There's definitely a difference between running a negative campaign or running a contrast campaign. Okay, if, if one of your children has celiac disease and you're grocery shopping, how do you know if something has gluten in it? You got to read the label. And so if you're not telling your story, someone else will tell it for you. And at times you need to make sure that you are calling out or highlighting the other person's story as well if it's in direct opposition to yours. And then at the end of the day, all of the strategies that you implement will come down to one thing, and that's building your name ID. Name ID um, on the ballot, name recognition or name identification is a huge deal. And that's why people spend so much money running for office is to get their name out to all the voters. And it's also why a lot of people, look, I don't hardly know anyone that runs for office one time. They run, they, they may win, they may lose, they run again. When people start seeing your name on the ballot, that starts to stick in the back of their mind. Now, you got to bring people along on your journey, and we'll get into the, how you do that in just a second. The other thing, you have to get people to buy into your campaign, and the candidate that manages their own campaign has a fool for a client. All right. The candidate that manages their own campaign has a fool for a client. Now, why is that so important? Because you have to do as the candidate, the two things that only you can do, and that's raise money and talk to voters. And so if you're managing your campaign, then you are wasting time on things that aren't those two main things. All right, this is really important to pay attention to here. Most candidates have a million dollar dream and a 15 cent strategy. As you'll remember earlier, I talked about how important, how, how many people just uh, don't prepare themselves, they don't do the work, they don't uh, get educated on the process. And, and so then they have a really bad strategy and then they lose and then it's, oh, well, you know, I guess it wasn't God's will. Well, that's, a, that's not right, that's not actually accurate. So we've got, a, um, we, have, we have people go through a race assessment. We're gonna give you a little bit about what that is. How many people voted in the last two primaries? How many voted in the last two generals? How much did those winners spend in, in those races? How much did the losers spend in those races? That data is really important because it gives you a really good 10,000 foot view of kind of where you're gonna to have to set your vote goals and where you're gonna to have to set your fundraising goals. Now, the self-assessment, this is, this is important. Your family has to be um, bought into this idea, okay? There, it, it, running for office is a full-time experience. It, it just sucks up your weekends and your evenings. And while it is for only a season of time, um, it definitely, if the whole family's not bought into the idea, it can definitely take an additional toll. So make sure your family's on board. Um, make sure you go through your social media before you announce make, and clean up, clean up anything you need to clean up. Once you announce for office, people will instantly go to your social media accounts or anything out there on the web and take screenshots um, before you can take them down. So do that on the front end.
We also have asked that you go through a SWOT assessment. You know, what are the strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats? Set SMART goals. Um, we teach you how to do your fundraising. And then also just in general, becoming an educated candidate. And the more you can prepare in these assessments, the more effective you'll be because your team will really know what to expect. And as you implement um, or as you do more research, it will come um, and, and learn more about the race and more about the, um, you know, your competitors and the overall dynamics of that geography, it will completely change the trajectory of your strategy. And winning campaigns, they always do both of these, a self-assessment and a race assessment. All right, so I don't know if you guys have heard of this before, but I am a big fan of the Lincoln four-step. This is a 200-year-old tried-and-true strategy on how to run for office. And for those of you who don't know, Abraham Lincoln ran for office a number of times and lost before he ran and won. So don't give up if you lose, but here's what he basically decided were the four main steps to running for office. Find out who's going to vote, okay? So in today's terms, that means going out and getting a copy of the voter file, which can be at the um, uh, the, the county registrar's office, or it can be at the um, secretary of state's office. Then find out who's going to vote for you. So how do we do that? Well, there's a lot of ways to do it. You can do data analytics. You can do polling. You can do door knocking, phone banking. There's a lot of ways um, to figure out kind of who your people are. Find out who can be persuaded to vote for you. Now, we're living in a fairly polarized climate right now. And so, you know, the, there's a, a group over a 45% over here that are going to vote one way and a 45% over here that are going to vote another way. And so you really need to find out how you can identify and target that 10% in the middle, because those, uh, th those are the votes that will usually sw swing the election. And then this is the most important part. Like I mentioned earlier, You've got to get people to take action. You have to persuade them to take action. So you've got to get those people out to vote. All right. So first things first, filing your paperwork and compliance. Most people don't realize this, but most major mis mistakes in a campaign happen in the first and last month. Okay. Now, the ones that happens in the first month, you don't even hear about those because their campaigns just fizzle out and they never got any traction, never got any publicity. Um, the ones that happened in the last month, Usually it's a self-imposed um, self implosion. And so those are the times where you really have to have a heightened sense of awareness and make sure that you're buttoned up and not making any mistakes. You got to remember, your campaign is going to be a direct reflection of the type of leader that you'll be in office. So if you're setting up meetings, meet and greets, fundraisers, whatever it is, appointments, and you are late or no show, whatever it is. I, that that is going to send a message to voters uh, on what type of leader you'll be while you're in office. So make sure that you stay really organized. It's a really important part of the process. Now, I recommend going to the county or state election website, and then if possible, visiting their office. You'd be amazed at what you can learn just having a conversation with the clerk there. Um, they will share vendors to stay away from, possibly uh, maybe some of the the more buttoned up uh, solid vendors. They, they, they'll give you tips um, that you wouldn't be able to get if you just went online and looked at this yourself. Highly recommend if you can. When you say, Eamon, when you yeah. say vendors, explain to them what the kind of vendors you're talking about. We're going to get there. Okay. Good, good question. So um, if you can, this is, I find this to be something that most candidates have no idea about and uh, at any level of office and that I think is really, really important. If you can, Launch your campaign on the first day of a new quarter. 
And the reason I say that is uh, pretty much in most states, there, um, any election it requires a quarterly compliance report to be submitted to the Secretary of State's office. Okay. So if you launch your campaign on the first day of a new quarter, uh, that gives you a three months of runway before your next compliance reports due, and it allows you three months to raise as much money as you possibly can. Now, the advantage to that is if you're able to raise a lot of money during that period, and then you file your first report, that's publicly available data. It's what the press uses as a metric to determine um, the, the, the viability of your candidacy. So if you wanna make a big splash and get on the scoreboard quickly, this is a really good way to do it. Another thing it does is it sends a message to other potential candidates considering getting in. Wow, that person's doing a really great job, clearly has a lot of support, and I'm not going to run this time. So it helps you, while it helps you make a splash in the press, it can also help narrow the field. This is important. Find a treasurer for your campaign, possibly a CPA. You don't want to be the candidate that is filing quarterly compliance reports with inaccurate information. And it's not complicated, but it really helps to have a friend who's a CPA or an accountant um, help you with this so that um, you're able to account for the dollars in and the dollars out. Read the rules. It's so, you know, we do campaigns all over the nation from, like I said, uh, you know, at all three levels. And the rules vary dramatically state to state, even sometimes county to county. So make sure that you understand the rules for your office. And if there's something you're not clear on, you can call the Secretary of State's office, the county clerk, or, you know, get your attorney, uh, a friend that's an attorney to weigh in and give you their written opinion. All right. So you got to, this is like level one, pick a campaign name, purchase the domain name, make sure you know the filing deadlines are, make sure, do I have to have signatures to get on the ballot? Or do I have to pay a, a fee to get on the ballot? Um, it really just depends on what that specific office needs. Um, and then submit, some, some require you have to submit a certificate of candidate qualification. So, which is not a bad thing. It's almost like a resume for why are you running for office? So if you're running for attorney general, right? In most states, you, you need to have been an attorney. Uh, then you have to submit your declaration of candidacy. Make sure you know when those deadlines are, um, that you get it in on time. Nothing is more frustrating than doing all this groundwork. And then you got your declaration of candidacy statement in late. Is, uh, there, uh, is there a set a website in every state they go to regarding yeah. finding the deadline yeah so go to the secretary of states um you know just google secretary of state for whatever state you're in and then uh you know election rules or you can also uh just make a phone call or google you know your county your county election office depending on you know if you're running a statewide race or just a local race and uh they'll have all that information right there you can print it out read it make a checklist go through it and make sure you got everything taken care of All right, and then you'll have um, you'll have a campaign committee which will help you um, create your account, um, your statement of organization, and then open the bank account. Okay, and so most bank accounts are opened on a not for profit status. It's not a nonprofit. It's not a for profit. It's called a not for profit, used for political um, designations. Uh, do not mix and commingle funds. Make sure that you um, keep your money very separate from your campaign and personal finances. 
Uh, and then look, have a friend or a, a, a company, you know, try and build your website with an in-kind donation. Okay. It's great to be able to get that without paying, paying a lot for it. It doesn't have to be a really big, complex website, um, but it does need to be able to receive donations on the page. Explain in-kind for people. In-kind donation is basically I build you a website, Dr. Garlow, and as long as the cost of me building it didn't exceed the maximum campaign donation, I can make an in-kind donation to you for that amount. So basically your treasurer then would just make a note in the quarterly compliance that I had an in-kind donation from Eamon Ross for Dr. Garlow's website for $2,500. Yep. Now this part right part right here we we always do a uh, web page assessment with all of our candidates and I don't think I've ever seen this done correctly the first time. So your your website needs to be representative of you and at the same time it needs to be um representative of the demographic in your voter geography, okay? Do not have 10 pictures of you and your family and your golden retriever on there. All right. Should be a couple of pictures, maybe one or two pictures of you. And the rest should be you talking to voters that make up the demographic of your geography. People want to know that you're engaged and 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 uh and connecting with voters. And that's the best way to do it on the website versus a whole bunch of pictures of you. The other thing I will tell you, and this is something we tell every single candidate, is uh, <laughs> uh, take five of the six Bible verses off of your website, okay? And and uh, so many people get offended. And personally, I think that's just like their, their own self-righteousness. Um, but we're not here to virtue signal. We're here, like I told you at the beginning, right? Wise as a serpent. We're here to run for office and win. Okay, we don't need 100,000 people running for office and losing. We need you to win. Okay, and so you're going to have to appeal to a voter that agrees with your biblical worldview, and you're going to have to appeal to voters that don't agree with your biblical worldview. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that because the idea is not for you to preach throughout your campaign. The idea is for you to demonstrate your leadership and giftings that God's given you that qualify you to be the best candidate for that office. Because when you're in office, you are leading everybody. It's not just people that think like you or agree like you. Sorry, I kind of got on my soapbox there for a second. All right, schedule meet and greets and uh, listening tours. Here's another thing, a peer-to-peer -peer video. So I'm huge. We call it a listening tour. It's tons of meet and greets all over your um, whatever your geography is. You know, it's five people. It's 25 people. It's 100 people. And, you know, part of that is for you to share a little bit about yourself, but the valuable part is to hear stories about how the current leader's policies are affecting your family. And that way, as you build your stump speech, you're able to take stories out of each meet and greet or fundraiser and incorporate them into your, your um, stump speech. And so now we're sharing about how a policy affected little Johnny or Susie versus, you know, facts and numbers and statistics. If you start spouting out facts and numbers and statistics, people will glaze over, all right? Facts tell and stories sell. Now, peer-to-peer -peer video. This is a big deal I for me personally. I love doing this with my campaigns. I have every candidate try to get 50 to 100 videos of just people that support them in your voter 
geography. Okay. And in, I'm, I'm not big on peer to peer, or I'm not big on endorsements. You know, you know, oh, I got the so-and-so to endorse me or so-and-so. I personally am not a big fan of that because you get some of those people's followers and you get all of their enemies and you don't know who their enemies are. And so you don't want to alienate anybody because you went and you thought you did this really great thing and got this endorsement from this person, but it turns out, you know, 80% of the people hate him and now hate you and they haven't even heard from you. So what I like to do is get peer-to-peer -peer videos from just average people in your community, a 10-second, I'm voting for Dr. Jim Garlow because of blank. And then we start to use those on social media, tag their page, their friends see them do the video. And it's a great way to start a, what we call grass fires, little grass fires all over your geography. You got to have palm cards, something. These are the little cards that people go door to door and hand out or take to meet and greets. You can Google uh, examples. There's some good ones out there. I, the most of the ones I see are terrible. Do not have a lot of writing on there. You should have maybe two or three pictures on there and two or three points. Okay. And that's it. It has to be memorable and simple. Um, we, we recommend that it's written to a fifth grade level and that there's some reason to make it memorable. Uh, the term palm card. Mm -hmm. Did you that's say so, that, that they call those little cards that people hand out palm cards? Okay. Um, that's just kind of an industry term. Make sure you, you know, get all your social media accounts. And then this is really important. You got to write out a timeline for your fundraising plan. And lastly, visit or watch meetings. I can't tell you how many candidates I've worked with. And I'm like, have you ever been to, um, you know, the, the Capitol and sat in a state rep um, assembly meeting? No, no. And that's a real problem. If you've never been to your city council meetings and you're running for city council, that's a real problem. And there's huge advantages to going because you kind of learn the lay of the land. You kind of start to see the agenda and personality types of the current leadership. And, and, and also you learn about the topics that are uh, really being debated or that are front and center right now. And it's a great way to, um, to prepare yourself for upcoming debates or forums. Now, I just gave these two examples. I always like to be super organized. On the right-hand side, you'll see all the Kiwanas, Rotaries, uh, political groups. Everything that's out there is on the right-hand side and the day of the month they meet. On the left-hand side is, you know, if you see something in green, that's going to be a money meeting. If you see something in pink, that's going to be a, a networking opportunity, maybe in blue. So it's a speaking engagement. And so you want to just lay out your month and just keep building on that, lay out two months, three months, and stay organized. And while you're doing that, I, I want you to try and engage in coalitions. Coalitions are such an important part of leveraging your network. So Dr. Garlow, we'll just say for the sake of this conversation that you're uh, part of the Realtors Association. And so I bring you on as a co-chair of my campaign. Um, and, and your job then is to spread my message in the Realtors Association and engage them. And we don't have the time for me to tell all these stories, but I can't tell you how effective coalitions can become if it kind of catches on and goes viral. Um, it's it's a very powerful way to get a group to get behind you. All right, so you asked um, uh, first uh, about different roles in a campaign, and then I'm going to share a little bit more about vendors. So the schedule, this is on a level three campaign. So let's say a governor's campaign. 
Um, you have a scheduler, a field director who has a team of field reps for door knocking, phone calling, organizing events, a political director that helps you build those coalitions that we just talked about, as well as your policy stances, a communications director, which helps you craft your stump speech, create messaging for social media, um, builds relationships with the press. Listen, I, this is horrible to say, but look, most press, it's completely understaffed and under budget. Uh, or uh, um, understaffed and don't have a budget and they really struggle with content. And I can tell you a number of times where we wrote a story that was positive about our candidate and it just got published word for word in papers around the state, okay? And that happens in a lot of states because they need content and they don't have the resources to do it on their own. So you need to take advantage of that when you can. Um, it's important to have a fundraiser. And if you're you know, not hiring a fundraiser, having one of your friends be the fundraiser and they're not making the fundraising calls for you, only the candidate can make those calls. The candidate has to make all the fundraising calls. And I'm telling you, you know, 60 to 80% of your time as a candidate should be fundraising. Got to have the treasurer, make sure the quarterly compliance correct, a digital director, Data and polling, as I mentioned earlier, uh, I'm a huge fan of data-driven campaigns. Uh, we do it in the business world all the time. Uh, we do it some of the time in the world of politics, but we want all of our campaigns to be data-driven because you will be amazed at what you think are the major issues or what you think people really care about, and those are often not the primary issues. And then you need a media team for your TV, radio, mail, and over-the-top buys, over-the-top would be like the Netflix, Hulu, Roku, et cetera. Um, an attorney, listen, you, th this can be, um, you know, most campaigns are never nearly as dirty as people think they are, okay? We only hear about those ones where, you know, someone called out somebody else's affair or whatever it was. The reality is that doesn't happen very often, and it's usually not nearly as bloody as you think. But it is important to have an attorney to um, resource just to make sure that you're doing everything and staying compliant in your campaign. And then a campaign manager, um, which obviously, you know, kind of helps execute on the strategy that the general consultant and that campaign manager create. All right, door knocking. So there are a ton of vendors out there and we kind of went over some of them just now. Um, listen, you depending on where you fall in the, political world right now. We seem to live in a, a two-party world until a third party um, really gets gains traction. But there are a ton of apps like this for door knocking. And it is so important for you to get people to buy into your vision and get volunteers. I mean, I've had campaigns where we've had, you know, five volunteers and campaigns with 100 volunteers and campaigns with 300 volunteers. And you have to be able to organize those um, those well and make sure you're using people effectively. And as you can see in this picture right here, all the green houses are ones that you should knock on. Stay away from the red and blue houses. What this allows you to do is go into a neighborhood and really maximize your productivity. It's because you, um, you, know, you don't wanna talk to people that number one, aren't gonna vote or that don't vote very often. And the reason you don't wanna do that is because you're not gonna change people's behavior. Okay, people are either engaged in the process or they're not, and it's not worth your time, effort, and money to try and target people. To you know, a lot of people say, "Oh, I'm going to get all these people registered to vote." Well, that's not true. You know, um, do I have a second? Just I don't know how much time I have, Doctor Garlow. Where are we at on time? Okay, keep rolling. This is really okay. this is exceptionally well done. 
So let me tell you uh, a st quick story about a pastor right outside the Bay Area who was uh, running for district supervisor. And, you know, I had given him some input. I, he was kind of about halfway through his campaign and he was so excited. Oh, it's going amazing. I'm speaking at all these churches and small groups and doing this. And then I was like, well, that's a terrible strategy. And he's like, what are you talking about? He's like, we have tons of momentum, tons of energy. And I'm like, well, you're talking to a large group of people where a huge percentage don't vote. And he's like, no, no, they're, they're all on board, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Well, he, so we get to election day, he loses by a landslide. Okay. And then this is what this, I thought this was pretty cool of him. He went back and he cross-referenced the voter directory. Now it can't, you know, the voter roll won't tell you who you voted for, but it will say if you did or didn't vote. And he cross-referenced the voter roll with um, his church directory and only about 25% of the people voted. And so if your strategy is, I'm going to go talk to a bunch of churches and believers and whatnot, like that's a, that's a flawed strategy. And so I just want to make sure that everyone here hears that um, because I have seen that happen countless times. All right, we're going to jam through this here. So vote by mail is obviously in the last three years has increased dramatically. What used to be, you know, election day is election 45 days. And so when you um, historically only had to spend money for like the last week or two um, of the campaign, like where you're really heavily, heavily spending money and targeting voters, now you have to do that for a month and a half. And so you need to, um, you know, s save your money until the end. But now with vote by mail, you have to start spending it earlier. So you're reaching those people who are going to vote. Interview lots of vendors. It's you will learn so much by talking to multiple vendors. Like like, let's use mail for example. Talk to three different mail vendors. Ask them about their services. Ask them, you know, give you a quote. And then go back and ask them why this this charge and that charge. There are a lot of hidden fees or things that you might uncover. Um, you know, this world of politics does have a number of shady people. We try to make sure that our um, candidates we we recommend them to vendors that we know and trust um, because there are some good people out there too. Um, you gotta do modeling and, and set your vote goal. So that's why the race assessment is so important. You're able to identify, you know, how many people will be voting in this election, whether it's a primary or whether it's a general or it's a jungle primary, or, you know, it, it's just important to know who's going to vote statistically most likely to vote. And then you're able to build an exact number. So I need to knock this many doors to hit that number. I need to send this many mail pieces, this many digital campaigns. Um, and, and, and that will really help you. When you do mail, one piece is not enough. Two pieces is not enough. We really recommend four to six pieces per household. And the great thing about using mail, um, some people think it's antiquated, but I do think for lower level offices, level one, maybe some level two, it's really effective because guess what every voter has? They have an address. And so you know that you are targeting someone who votes. And what we call it, we call it, they, they call it one for four, two for four, three for four, four for four. So we want to target three for fours and four for fours. And that's people who have voted three out of the last four elections or four out of the last four elections. So we want to spend our money talking to people that we know are going to show up on election day. Salt your list with your uh, your name and your donor's name. This is a really, this is one of those little nuances that people don't ever do, but I put my own name in there um, and I make sure that all the donor's names are in the mail list. Not, you know, we we, we know that we already have a vote um, if someone gives us a dollar, right? So we know the donors on our team, but they love seeing 
activity, right? When they get that mail piece in there, they know that they were part of paying for that. And so it is far, uh, by far and away worth the cost of doing that. Um, let's see here. Okay. And then pictures. Okay. People, it, if you're trying to sell voters that you're a Mercedes, don't put pictures of a, 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 a you as a you go up there. Okay. Like have some quality, good pictures up there. Um, I, it happens all the time. It's like someone took a couple pictures with their iPhone with bad lighting and put it on their website. Please don't do that. Now, this is super important. I'm going to go through it fast because I know we're short on time. But like I told you at the beginning, the two most important things a candidate can do is raise money and talk to voters. All right. And money gives your campaign options. Options are so important because your, your strategy may have to change during the campaign. And if it does, you'll have the resources to do that. Um, giving begets giving. The more money you raise, the more people want to give to your campaign. They want to bet on a winner. And so if you put in the hard work and raise money, people know that, um, that you're, 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 um, you're worth betting on and you're doing the hard work. Like I said earlier, the press uses it. It's the best metric for gauging public support. And then the more money you have, the earlier you can start delivering your message. And as we talked about with the new you know, vote by mail the last few years, that is really important. Now, you got to know who can give. And, and this is different. So, so please make sure you know for your specific race and your specific state and your specific county who can give and who can't give. Okay? Stay organized. Create a spreadsheet. This is important because you know what happens? Nothing's more embarrassing than calling someone and then um, they said, you know, and they and they give you five hundred dollars or a thousand dollars, and two weeks later you call them and ask for a donation. They're like, "I just gave you a thousand dollars two weeks ago uh, because you were disorganized." So stay organized. All right, set your fundraising plan. So I'm going to let you just read this because it reads awkwardly, but um, since we're having a recording, you guys can see how the math works. You set your goals and then work backwards. And then I actually ask all my candidates, you know, those like United Way uh, fundraising thermometers, Dr. Garlow? Um, I, we, uh, I ask them to put that on the refrigerator. And so every time they go get a glass of juice or go get the ketchup, whatever it is, they have to see that, right? We want that in front of their face at all times because it's one of the two most important things that they can do. And most people like to avoid it. Got to have your daily call lists and you got to have a lot of fundraisers. And by the way, don't do the fundraisers where you're spending, you know, a whole bunch of money. Okay. It's not, it's not an effective way. Spend as little money as possible on your fundraisers. Um, find out what the state laws are for you for in-kind donations. So can someone provide cheese and whatever, cheese and wine at your event or whatever for under $500? If that's legal, let them do it. But don't have it be like a steak dinner for in, and we're going to raise money. That's a waste of waste of time, waste of effort. All right, here's the seven best ways to raise money. Pull out your Christmas card list. This is important. Okay, it's everybody you know. You got to go to friends and family first. You're working on your pitch. You're working on your, um, you know, you're working on you know how you're asking for money, and. One of the things that we teach is, you know, when you call someone to ask for money, um, most people say two things. They say who they are and why they're running for office. Okay. But for me, our, I want our candidates to be able to articulate how they're going to win. And that's something that most candidates never do. So who they are, why they're running and how they're going to win. 
And in the how they're going to win, basically being able to share, and we're going to take your $2,000 and we're going to put it into digital targeting, which will get us 27,000 impressions over this period of time. So, sorry, I must have, my apologies here. Um, all right, so one-on-one -on -one meetings, great way to raise money. It's, it's probably start in the beginning with that too. Uh, it's, you're comfortable, do it with friends. And fundraising events, political action committees, don't spend too much time on this because these committees will often choose you versus you choose them. Um, and then there are, there's party support. Sometimes political parties in different areas will give money, but I will tell you both on the Republican and Democrat side, uh, the, the, the local parties are usually broke. Um, and then do a digital email fundraising campaign. Those can be effective, small dollar, small dollar donations over time with your email list, um, and then mailers. And I, I don't use mailers as much anymore, but in the Midwest, they still tend to produce a result. You got to educate donors. Most people are first-time givers to a campaign, and so they really don't understand why it's important or what the process is. And so educating them is important. And then don't get discouraged. You have to make five to seven connections. So that's calling them. That's sending them a follow-up text message. That's calling them again. It's sending them an email. Okay. It takes five to seven before you get a dollar. So don't get discouraged. Most people are distracted. They have life going on. They're not used to giving to political campaigns. So just stay on it and this will work. Almost done here, Dr. Garla. We're going to blaze through this. Here's the four reasons that we see believers not running for office right now. The first is fear. The second is the lack of training. Like I said, you wouldn't want to do surgery without going to med school. Don't run for office without learning how to do it most effective way. Um, you need mentorship, okay? And I'm not talking about your uncle's cousin's brother who ran a campaign 25 years ago for city council, okay? The, the world has changed dramatically even in the last five years. Um, and so you've got to stay on top of that. Now there's probably three people on this call. Those, those that are going to run for office, those that don't want to run for office, but want to make a difference. Those can volunteer on campaigns and those don't know what to do, but know something must be done. Look, it's more clear than now than ever before. Um, the name of Jesus, like that's getting censored, right? That is a, uh, it's that they are trying to cancel Jesus. And so Remember, we want to go and we want to be leaders and we want to set the tone and set the country on a path to kingdom. Um, and look, the Lord's Prayer, right? Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How does it happen? How does that happen if we're not the ones bringing heaven to earth? All right. This is just some of our, some of our um, people. Mm -hmm. If you only remember one thing from what I shared with you today, it's this. What if the world of politics is the next big mission field? What if we viewed this as um, we're sending missionaries into uh, city council, we're sending missionaries into the state house or senate, we're sending uh, them to Congress. We're, we're, if we started viewing the world of politics um, like the next big mission field, I think we could make a dramatic difference in just a couple of short years. If you want to learn more about awesome people that are doing kingdom stuff uh, in the political space right now, you know, I have senators, governors, um,
people from all over the the the, the country and high levels of leadership on our podcast, Kingdom of Politics podcast. And then for this group, I've given you my personal email address. Feel free to reach out. And uh, thank you for the opportunity, Dr. Garla. Well, that was impressive. Um, I've talked to an awful lot of people who are considering running for office. My goodness, that was profoundly thorough. A uh, hundred times better than I've ever done sharing with people. You uh, have such a strategic mind. I really appreciate this influence. How can they? Uh, how can they contact you? Sure. Um, so I, I gave them my email. It's amen at kingdomandpolitics.com. And they can also go to join.kingdomandpolitics.com or www.kingdomandpolitics.com. And um, just a ballpark in, let's say, a town of 25,000 people, somebody running for school board on an average in a town that size. What might it cost a campaign? I, I know it can vary a great deal, but. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So good question. Yeah. Uh, what people don't realize is there are some people that only raised $500, right? And they win. Uh, you know, in a, a just town that small, um, you know, there's not going to be that many people voting. You can go knock all of the doors of the people that are um, three for four or four for four voters. You could knock on all the doors twice. And in person, deliver your message. So you could raise $0 and still uh, win easily. Okay. Okay. Now, that's, that's very encouraging to people because I the, the raising of the funds might be intimidating to a few. <clears throat> but the good news is most people realize that America is in a crisis and they're willing to sacrifice for the sake of their children and grandchildren to see if the Republic can be saved and we can honor the Lord in this country ongoing. Uh, and I got to tell you, I, I'm just so impressed with what you're doing. This is so good. I was thinking, how, how can I get your message out to a whole lot more people. Uh, if you would just pray right now for the listeners uh, that some will, that they'll have open hearts to consider running, let the Holy Spirit speak to them. And then that person who's, who just went, yeah, I can do that. Uh, then what uh, would you pray specifically for that person? Then yeah, we're absolutely. Prayer after that. Love to. Father, thank you, uh, Lord. There's a reason that whoever is watching this right now is watching it. They could be doing a hundred other things. Um, so Holy Spirit, I just ask that if you are nudging them, that if they're if they're just have an interest um, or if they really, really just feel called, Lord, to take that next step, I ask that you um, just guide them, Lord. And may they say yes. Um, we, Lord, I, we are so sorry for how we have abdicated our responsibility to lead in the public sphere. It's, it is our fault, uh, and, and we just repent from that, Lord, and, and Lord, I, I pray that you will just raise up a remnant of Gideons, and we, Lord, make a massive impact in a very short amount of time um, in the political space, Lord, to bring glory to your kingdom, and Lord, look, your, your values benefit everybody, whether they believe in you or don't believe in you. So may we be a blessing to all those that we lead in Jesus' name. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please read the show notes for additional details if you would like a copy of the book or resources mentioned. Remember that WellVersed is a 501c3 tax-deductible nonprofit organization. We rely on your support and partnership. Don't forget to hit subscribe to keep up to date with our latest episodes. Leave us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. 
Thank you for listening to the Well-Versed Podcast. For more information, please go to www.wellversedworld.org.